Welcome to episode 65 of the Book Wars podcast. Um, we are going to be talking about chapters 31 to the end of Aftermar, um, after, <laughs> a- after, 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 Aftermath Life Death by Chuck Wendig. I'm Kristen. You <laughs> I'm sure really are. I'm struggling today. I'm here with Kate and Chris, as always. And uh, how are you guys doing? What are you drinking? Uh... <laughs> I'm that alive, was... I promise. You just sound so sad. <laughs> I'm not sad. I'm also like my voice is like shot oh, oh, all day yesterday. I so that's bet. also why it's like soft. It's like this is as loud as it will be. Kix had a very very important soccer game yesterday, and she is having a recovery day. Sure am. Uh, I am drinking a. I heard you have a lot of beverages, Chris. I have two whole beverages. <laughs> One is a Trader Joe's uh, lime-flavored sparkling spring water. Uh, so you all get to experience that with me after a few weeks of the cranberry lime. I know. It's a big change. Oh, my God. We'll get through it together. Uh, and the other is a mug of uh, lavender Earl Grey tea from uh, Capital Teas in D.C., which is great. Is that also what you're drinking, Kate? I am also. It's organic, Chris, did you know? <laughs> I mean... Could only assume. <laughs> um, I am also drinking that, except I pour probably by accident too much beef eater into my mug, so you know. Twist. Jen, <laughs> yeah. great. Um, uh, pour too say? much beef into her tea. Yes, beef tea, my fave. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, what was I gonna say? Um, oh, Do tell. It's gone. It's gone. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm drinking. Uh, oh, I was gonna ask where that where you said the tea shop. Where is that? Uh, there's a few now. So there's one oh. in DuPont Circle, and the the first one in this area was in DuPont Circle, and now there's a few. There's one in, I think Navy Yard. There's one. Mm-hmm. They're like all over now. There's one out in Fairfax, like yeah, very, west of us. Fancy. There's actually one up in Annapolis, as we discovered. Yeah, I think mm. they're from Annapolis. I think that's what we established. Yeah. Oh, very cool. So that was interesting. They also sell online in case you want to buy really expensive Lucy online because you're extra like us and you just drink yeah. too much tea. My mom buys them online because she like tasted them when she came to visit and she like fucking loved them. No, I'm like excited because I just got myself a, as you guys know, I just got myself a coffee cold brewer. And then like two days later, a coffee cold brewer came for my birthday from someone. <laughs> Oh so God! I'm, like, I'm just keeping both of them, and I'm gonna use one to make iced tea. Oh, that's I mean, really that's smart. Neither, well, yeah, like neither. I mean, it's like, exactly the same technology. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> whatever. And I like really like iced stuff and like cold brewed stuff because it's so much lower acidity. So mm. it's what I tend to drink, even like through the winter months and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. and speaking of that, I'm drinking uh, iced coffee right now. Uh, cold brewed iced coffee, just the the Stoke stuff that comes in the containers at the stow um it's good i just drink it black it's delicious that sounds great (laughs) but i'm waiting to i'm trying to get through my my back stock of it so that i can start making my own Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very exciting times (laughs) with all of our beverages (laughs) 
I've got beef eater, so. <laughs> ha ha. I'm, I think I made clear how excited I am about this lime spike sparkling spring water. Can you stop? <laughs> We're out of, uh, we tried to get a new soda stream thing at grocery store on monday and they were out i was like i'm ashamed for my store (laughs) i was like it's it's fine we're sad but it's fine (laughs) oh my god okay let's do a book talk wait what do you need to buy for a soda stream the carbonizing oh yeah you just it's it's like a it's a um like an exchange kind of like a propane tank exchange yeah interesting and then they give you a full one Chris, you know they, you know, you you know how this works, right? No. Oh my God! It's okay. A, it, I'm gonna explain you a science. Okay, do a science, mom. Uh huh. Because explain I love, to our listeners. I legitimately love chemistry. So when things are when you know if you drink this carbonite, it's literally because they forced extra carbon dioxide into the liquid. So that's all it is. It's mm-hmm. that's all the soda stream does is it forces carbon dioxide gas into stuff, and then it mm-hmm. becomes bubbly and because it's overloaded with carbon dioxide and the air around us it has less carbon dioxide than your drink um that's why stuff goes flat because mm. it'll diffuse into the air and then once the carbon dioxide is gone then it is flat shit mm-hmm. it's intense. Yeah, so it's just the it's just the compressed mm-hmm. um, carbon dioxide yeah just little tanks of Yep. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's been Science Talk with Kate. I lo- Tune in next week for yes. Teach Chris Something. <laughs> Wait, I-, I, I have another I have another science question. Oh, God, what? <laughs> that Keeks might know. Ooh, okay. What's the nitrogen for in Nitro Cold Brew? Like, what does it oh. do? Um, it's well, it's the cold, same thing. Right? It's the same thing as, um, like, Guinness. So uh, basically, what it does is instead of putting instead of putting it on CO two, um, which is like what regular beer would be on, um, the nitro uh, is basically like smaller molecules and makes smaller bubbles, so it makes it uh, pour really, really like creamy. Mm, okay. Yep. Science. <laughs> I thought it was just for the cold. Now I know. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. no, it's just, it's, it's, um, as far as I know, it's just on, um, the same thing that, like, uh, Guinness is on. Cool. Or any kind of stout that's on a Yeah, night. I think you're right. And now I fucking know. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming been, to Chemistry Talk, guys. Uh, see you next week. Talk. <laughs> oh my god. This is very sciencey of us. <laughs> I legitimately almost majored in chemistry, so. I know, you're so cool, Kate. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. That would have required math, though. Yeah, that's why I didn't do. That's why I didn't major. I I I, I, I almost took a second major in either bio or chemistry, and then I was like, mm, math, nah. Uh-uh. I would not recommend math in college. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So you had to, hard. You had to do real math. <laughs> uh, I did not enjoy it. Not one bit. <laughs> there you uh, go. Keeks, okay. Did you ever take that math and politics class? GW? No. Of course not. She had to oh take real math. That was like... I had to take math. Like actual math. Oh, and that's that right, was for math stats. that people didn't have to. Well, I had to do stat and I had to do real math. I had to do up through uh, Calc 3 and linear algebra. Oh, God. That was actually the dumbest class. Like, that was. As I went into it assuming it was going to be stupid math, it was literally like fucking shapes. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very jealous. <laughs> oh, my no, God. No, it's a. Uh, 
I just had to do math. It was like the math uh, to in order to get the BS in econ at GW, <laughs> you either had to do like your extra credits in like math, engineering, or like computer science. So like mm-hmm. math is the easiest of those three. <laughs> oh my god! So I was like, uh, I guess I'm gonna do math, which sounds like I'm not good at that, but okay. <laughs> So I just made sure I was in it with all my friends, and they helped me. There you, <laughs> there go. you go. Exactly. And now I use none of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so for our for our younger listeners, don't take math class in college. Ta-da! <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Remember when we were kids, straight. and they always used to be like, "You're going to use all of this as an adult." Ugh. I mean, like it was all like the theory behind the way like the statistical software programs work. I was like, I don't care that I know how these work now. <laughs> not, it doesn't matter. That's trash. You guys are the worst. Oh my god, that's actual garbage. Oh, now that we're ten minutes in, <laughs> and we're talking not at all about Star Wars. So, uh, um, Star. You know what? I'm not sure has math. Star Wars. Let's do Star it. <laughs> do it. Galen probably does um, math. That's true. He does air math. You're right. Yes. Um. So this was the uh, grand finale of the book. Uh, and what holy fuck. Called? Ending? Huh? Climax? Climax, thank you, Kate. <laughs> thank you for understanding me when I oh, talk. Oh, my God. No, I'm not oh my god you, I'm oh my god at Chris. <laughs> for suggesting ending? Yes. Ending, yes, Chris. Chris doesn't know how you to got read. got it. Was the ending of the book. Chris it was is... the ending of the book. Chris, you don't know how to read. We all knew this. <laughs> I, f- I faked it a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so this was chapter 31 through the end which ends with like another so we have a prologue and an epilogue right and they're both yes the same thing kind of yes that was not english but time period someone will explain it (laughs) yeah same timeline time period they continue each other yep looking at the same characters Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh yeah so these this ending was intense and there's tons to talk about and we're probably not gonna get to all of it in this episode probably gonna have some spill over into the wrap-up because oh my god as usual for chuck wendick's books it's like you know the stuff is definitely happening throughout the whole book and then stuff happens for the ending to super fucking happen yo there's so much happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he brought back his favorite thing of this person's dead jk they're not <laughs> oh yes oh yes it is his favorite thing <laughs> Who was dead and then not dead in this one? Well, I mean, people kept getting shot, and we weren't sure whether or not they were dead. Oh, that's true. We did. We did. We did worry Mon Mothma was dead. And Sloan. Yeah. And Sloan. Oh, yeah. and Sloan. Even though when I, I like, I totally worried they were both dead, and I like knew objectively that <laughs> they, they weren't be. both dead. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris has read the book before, and he still was worried that they were dead. Um, <laughs> uh, and Tamin, we don't know whether or not he is stunned or not when his dad shoots him that's true <laughs> oh yeah it's fucking wild i mean we know but like yes look, you've done it again chuck <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious um so yeah lots to unpack here especially in terms of characters and themes and stuff so do we want to start with our fave ray sloan yeah all right let's do it um so, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, something that I've kind of, like, been poking around the edges of for 
the first book and the first parts of this book that we've read, um, but we didn't really have enough information to have a full conversation about it. Um, but I wanted to talk about her opinions on government, basically, and how that relates to like, just her moral philosophy, which I find fascinating. Because she's like, I mean, she's a villain character, but she's, but we love her because she's like, she's because so, she, she's so smart. She's such a badass, and um, you know, she's powerful. She, you know, she doesn't hesitate. Um, you know, she's, she's a survivor and she's a fighter. So, you know, I just, let's just talk about Rachel and some more. And she's, she's very genuine, right? Like she's, God, yeah. she's very like sure in her convictions. And I mean, you know, she's not really a politician, but they've kind of turned her in a pol- into a politician in this book. And it's kind of like the, uh, what is the word? Genuine? Yeah. Genuine's the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's like, you do, you don't feel like she's like i mean everything that she does i think is calculated but mm-hmm. that's because she's smart i don't think she's doing it to like be necessarily manipulative and if someone were to like ask her her opinions i don't think she would like pussyfoot around it yeah absolutely she's like one of the rare characters who has her ideals and she has like strong morals and everything but she's also not naive at the same time and that's fascinating like she's just, also a bad yeah. guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally like i just you know she's she, 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 she was introduced in A New Dawn um, by John Jax Miller, who created the character, and Chuck's really elevated her, and I, I just, like, I, I really want to go back one day and just kind of study how he, like, makes her herself, because her characterization is so fucking good. Like, mm-hmm. she's so multifaceted. Um, so, uh, wh- so, one of the, so the first thing I wanted to talk about in terms of, like, you know, as under, under this topic is, um, I, I asked earlier... You know, Sloane loves the Empire. Like, does she know, like, about all the gross undersides of it? Um, and I, like I said, like I said, she's not naive because we find out here that, like, yeah, she does know about all the gross undersides of it because, um, you know, they're talking about Kashyyyk and she's thinking about um, the enslavement of the Wookiees, which she finds really fucking distasteful. But, you know, she thinks that it was a necessary evil at the beginning. Um so it's kind of a, you know, ends justifying the means, at least in the beginning stages of empire building, which I thought was really interesting. And it's a really interesting thought to put in the head of a black character. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's really interesting to see, because we've talked in the past about, like, Ray Sloan and, like, how she represents, you know, this belief in the empire compared to, you know, in the first Aftermath book, it's... Grand Moff Pandian and Julia Shale and Crazy Man Tashu and like <laughs> all these people. And then, and, um, and Crassus, who was like the slaver last time. And then in this one, you still see her as this like trying to be this paragon, but like it's harder because she is trying to keep the empire in place. And it's, and this one kind of presented as like even she has like practical limits. Mm hmm. And, but it is interesting to see, like, you know, where she's, like, secretly glad to see that Kashyyyk is under attack because, like, what they're doing on Kashyyyk is gross. And they don't even refer to it as Kashyyyk because, like, they just refer to it as a number mm-hmm. because they've de- for lack of a, for lack of a correct term in our language, she's, they've dehumanized the planet mm-hmm. to that level. Absolutely. It's almost like, you know, Holocaust tattoos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Yup. 
and they like don't talk about it it's another one of those things that chuck just slips in and it um, is not as dressed at all and we just get to go god that's fucked up mm-hmm. yep yeah no it kind of he kind of just punches you and runs away <laughs> he's he's so good at that <laughs> and then you have to like stand there and be like did somebody just punch me what just happened wait <laughs> um yeah that shit just got tarkin written all over it doesn't it though you can tell you can tell that like <laughs> tarkin and krennic were like the ones who like did that oh god yeah Blech. um you know, uh, but so the other side of that for her, uh, is her, like, value in doing the honorable thing. I think she's probably closest to, you know, she reminds me a bit of Sienna, if, if Sienna herself weren't so, mm. ni- like, you know, kind of, I don't want to call her naive and I don't want to call her, like, like, you know, because she's, like, Sienna's not, like, a hick or anything, but, you know, she has that kind of, like, very very ancient sense of honor in her um that's like super stringent and sloan's is a little less that i feel like you know mm-hmm. she's not she's you know she's she i don't want to say she like plays dirty or anything like that but there's something more practical about her sense of honor and respect for other people oh no question i want to say you know and for for listeners who haven't read it we're talking about sienna ree from lost stars by claudia gray uh, which we've talked about on the pod um i mean looking back at her origin i think she plays it's fair to say she plays and looking back at aftermath too it's fair to say she plays a little dirty yeah i know but i don't want to say that she's like uh she she does it she does it to to like stay alive i don't think she does it like because she i don't know well remember when she betrayed vidian with mm-hmm. Baron Dantha. That's true. Like, and that was like, it was to stay alive, but it was also very much to like, be like, this is how the Empire works. That's true. That's true. Like, I feel like she, for for as much as she does try to kind of ignore the worst parts of the Empire, I feel like for the most part, she is eyes wide open. Like, she's mm-hmm. very much like, one of those people who is like, this is not perfect but it is the best thing out there and it is like doing and it does an important service and mm-hmm. like that's the goal that we need to keep our eyes on. I, I mean it's that and I think she realizes that it's kind of like a doggy dog sort of hierarchy and she knows she's the best so she's going to make sure that she comes out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Um, we yeah. discussed Lost Stars episodes 33 through 36. Thank you. Thanks Keeks. <laughs> uh... But I just I just thought it was interesting though. Just I mean the the reason why I don't want to say she is she plays dirty, she's super underhanded, is because you know Rax's plan to um, you know put these inhibitor chips or you know whatever you want to call them into the captives from Ashmead's lock and then turn them into assassins was brilliant. You know they're like no one saw it coming. Uh, obviously, Sound, sounds familiar. <laughs> Hmm, where have we heard this before? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why, you know, it's, it makes sense that he clearly had such a personal relationship with Palpatine. Oh, God, yeah. Because that's got Palpatine written all over it. Oh, and that's yeah. one thing we're going to see in Empire's End when we read it early next year is exactly what their relationship was and what Rax's role was. And it's going to make sense that, you know, potentially... Not only was this, I mean, there's nothing explicit about it, but potentially this was not only Palpatine inspired, but like 
it wouldn't shock me if he was involved somehow. Right, right. But, you know, it, it was a, it's a brilliant plan, like, strategically, like, makes sense. Take out all these um, high-profile targets, so chaos, et cetera, et cetera. You know, classic kind of, like, Marvel villain um, uh, sort of uh, uh, blueprint for taking over Earth, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, but she hates it. Like, Sloane hates it, because there's no, you know, there's no honor, and there's nothing respectable about sneaking around like this you know and do just like again like she finds it gross she thinks it's icky and she's not wrong yeah you can almost hear her say like oh my god you gotta be fucking kidding me when right she's like looking down and she sees this happen she's like oh my god this was his plan this is so stupid <laughs> <laughs> i know i love literally though i i could no i could absolutely picture her in my head just kind of like slowly standing up going are you for real <laughs> Yeah, it's very, because she's, like, all about, like, order, right? And, like, this is, like, and she's all about using the Empire's power for order. She's very much from the Tarkin-Vader school of Imperial power. It should be shown, it should be shown often, and it should be shown for the safety of people, right. allegedly. Yeah, it's, like, kind of, like, the the Empire is a hammer, as opposed to, I think she called it a vibroblade between the ribs. yes. Exactly. And this is, like, she's, like, she's almost more about process than she is about result because she firmly believes in the process of the Empire leading to good results. And to her, this is a complete subversion of that process and everything the Empire stands for. And it's, like, you know, she firmly believes that the rebels are terrorists and this is, you know, sinking to their level. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it is very terrorist level shit. <laughs> oh, no, no question. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Cakes, jump in if we're like... Oh, no. You're you good. Go. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, and speaking of her need for order, like, we finally find out about her childhood and how she grew up. Um, what What is the name of her? I home? don't know. Ganthel? Sure. I think. Yeah. Um, Let me look it up. Keep okay. Going. Um, but, you know, we, we find out that she grew up on a planet that was basically run by various gangs and there was complete lawlessness and she felt unsafe all the time. Um, and the Empire, when the Empire finally came to her planet, they just wiped out all of that criminal activity or, you know, swept it under the rug and allied with it or whatever the fuck actually happened behind the scenes. Um, but... You know, the Empire was her savior, really. And, you know, it's incredibly understandable, like, how much she respects it and believes in it. Like, having that experience at a young age of just almost getting picked up by slavers, because that's terrible. Genthel was correct, for the record. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, but no, you're exactly right. And I mean, I feel like we get a lot of people in the empire who have that view right like this is not a surprising story of people whose you know lawless worlds were tamed and that's why they support the empire i mean you don't so much get that with sienna because um jellican thank you jellican is not so much a lawless world but mm -hmm. it is like a world like they did bring them into the future like the empire did things for people that were not bad like, the Empire itself was always bad, obviously. We know that as the reader and the viewer of, you know, the Star Wars movies and books. But, like... 
Nazis. Yeah, but like, I mean, the, it is also fair to say that like, in service of getting what it wanted, if if by nature of nothing else than, you know, the stopped clock is right twice a day, the Empire did some things that were good for some people. And you know, th- those are the people who then became the ruling class and wanted to preserve it and preserve their status. And so, like, Ray Sloan and Sienna Ree and Tarkin and all these people who don't see themselves as evil, or obviously. Iden. Or Aiden. Or, or, or um, Admiral Versio. Mm-hmm. Um, all these people who don't see themselves as evil you know, see this as like, you know, the end, kind of an ends justify the means situation. And obviously we've seen a little bit in, uh, in the movies and we've seen, saw a little bit in the end of Lost Stars and the beginning and in Phasma. And we're going to see more in Empire's End. The First Order is not like that. The First Order knows they're evil and they're fine with it. Womp womp. Yeah, they're super, super Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see. I, I I have to believe in some capacity we are going to see Ray Sloan again. I don't know what capacity it will be, but like there's too much here to not see the battle of, between her and, you know, the Brendel Huxes and Supreme Leader Snokes of the world. Like what happened? Like, I mean, obviously we have another book to go, but it, it really makes you wonder like what, how did we get from, you know, Ray, Ray Sloan, Ray Sloan's vision to super nazi level up mm-hmm. <laughs> like jesus yeah and we don't know that yet mm-hmm. yeah and um obviously he plants the seeds for whatever they're gonna need hucks for but he basically like wendig tells us when um rax is sitting at the shadow council he's like um and now i have no need for any of these people except for hucks and i'm like tell me more <laughs> Well, we, we what kinda, is going to happen? We, we know what Hux does, though, which is kind of like why that's so chilling. The Empire needs children. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Like. I mean, I assume I assume that's what it was it was talking about, but I just love how he was like, and I don't need anyone else. I know. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. Well, yeah. you have really incompetent people around you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's another thing that we get from this book. And we, we've talked a little bit about it, but, like, you just get, you know, the serious brain drain from the destruction of the two Death Stars literally, and the Executor. Literally the opposite of, of a brain trust is what he's got there. Yeah. Like, you can, like, anybody who's worth anything except for Sloan and Rax, essentially. Soup's dead. Is dead because of mistakes and victories by the Rebels and short-sightedness and planning. <laughs> and yeah. you are you are seeing that in these books. Totally. And we talked Absolutely. about that a little bit a few books ago with like how the empire disintegrated so fast essentially, but like it makes sense like it's a huge galaxy, but when you put all when you put your entire brain trust on the first death star and they all die except uh General Tag. And then you put you know all of your you, you make the Executor, like, a stepping stone to your own command. And, like, everybody on that ship is tip-top and the best of the best. And then that ship goes down. It's a problem. Whoops. It's really not great planning. I was about to say, planning. They're not 
very talented at that. Well, trust me, we're going to go into this in Empire's End because but, it makes oh God. sense. Of course. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and Rax has a direct part in it. Of course he does because he is a cockroach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you have no idea what a cockroach he is. We haven't even gotten there yet. Great. I'm oh, scared. Yeah. I'm scared. Um, okay. So just to wrap up a few things about Sloane, um, just a few more things to talk about that I wanted to touch on. Um, I thought it was really interesting, her, you know, her like five second encounter with Wedge when she sees him again and what her reaction is to him. You know, she's like, she actually feels guilty for having tortured him, but she was just like, yeah, sorry, but I needed you to get shit done. So it happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry about your fucking leg, my guy. I respect you, though. Because you're a tough nut, and I see that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, she's just, you know, and she fears Rex, but she's also like, he is, he is really smart, and that's and unpredictable, so that's kind of fucking scary. Like, she, she's really good at reading people, and she definitely has uh, respect. I and mean, probably the only people she has respect for are people who are equal to her in, like, strength and resilience and intelligence. Which I relate to on a spiritual level. <laughs> what? If you're stupid, I can't... Oh, whatever. It's fine. She has no time for incompetence. Mm-hmm. For sure. I... It's tough after this book to say that she's that good at reading people, though. That's true. Like, she got played like a fiddle. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean... She let herself have this blind spot in Adea. And I, that's the next thing I want to talk about. Yeah. Their fight. Um, Because, you know, just because... She, again, she saw her as a daughter and she was, she was just like, well, this is what happens when you trust people. You got to kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, I hate not knowing yeah. more about Adea. Obviously she dies in this book. She sure does. Just read, yeah. But, but we don't find out anything more about her, right? No, no. She's <sighs> just dead. It's so annoying. <laughs> Aw. I know. I do feel like I she's just. I like, just... want to know her motivations and, and stuff. I know. I feel like, unfortunately, I mean, you know, who knows? Like, I would love to be wrong. You know, maybe we'll get Adea and Adventures of Adea and Sloane and Wild Space. But, like, I do feel like Adea is just going to be one of those side characters who dies, and that's just it. I want, I want like, a novella from Adea's point of view. Basically, her being Eli and being partnered up with Sloane and learning how to, like, whatever, and then, like, joining up with Rex. Like, learning how to be a really good fucking imperial and being super strategic 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 about stuff and then Mm -hmm. yeah and then being like well i like this guy (laughs) for some fucking reason (laughs) but yeah i just well one of the first things i noticed about their fight is you know well obviously a day dies because sloan sloan straight up murders her uh which was a good choice because otherwise you know that 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 dumb assistant would have killed her uh but, you know, yes. I, I just love how she, like, doesn't hesitate. She was just, like, she kind of looks at her, like, has that moment of realization of, oh, you're in league with Rax. And you just go, and she's kind of like, man, now I have to kill you, but I'm going to do it. And then she does it, and she's like, well, bye. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. freaking, like, it, she just shows such, uh, like, presence of mind and ability. Like, she's you can tell she's so well-trained. God, yeah. To be able to just do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely just no hesitation just grab just, i'm gonna grab this rifle and you're dead and she doesn't look back um what do you make of what they say to each other though during when? the fight during the fight 
I mean, Adea, Ada has pretty solidly been brainwashed by Rax. Yeah. Like, you can tell it's difficult for Adea. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, I'm, I, well, okay, so the way I'm thinking of this is, again, like, the bu- the book and we have been framing them as having, it's obviously a mentor-mentee relationship, but it's almost a mother-daughter relationship, um, and so just framing it that way, like, what do you make of what they say to each other? Like, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yes, Kate obviously has an opinion on yeah. this quote, Kate. I don't know, I really don't. <laughs> oh. uh, Are you? Can I ask what is caused you to ask? Then sorry. Oh, because we literally got a listener question in early because I told people to send their questions in early and the people wanted us oh. to talk about this. Oh, oh cool. Yeah, <laughs> good I'm, reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know you do get vibes of regret, particularly from Adea, and honestly, like from Sloane. But Sloane is also very business about it. Like, do you think Adea is regretful? I do, because, you know, she does say, like, it didn't happen, like, you know, like, like, like she gives, like, the Star Wars version of, we were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you (laughs) to go along with our terrorism. Like. That's not regret, really. It's, like. Frustration? Okay, well, no, sorry. I think I'm conflating regret and remorse. Never mind. Yes, I I agree that I don't think it was remorseful, but I do think it was regretful. Um. So, I mean, I do think that, I think there's recognition from Adea that, uh, that Sloane was good at her shit. That that Sloane was, like, a valuable ally and a valuable person to have around. And so I do think that she's regretful that Sloane won't be with them anymore. And I do think that there's a certain amount of, like, thankfulness for everything she's done for her. Totally. Um... But do you think that Adea really thought that in the end Sloane would go along with this? Like, knowing her and working so closely with her for all these years? Like, she must have been brainwashed real good because I don't know how anyone in their, you know, quote-unquote normal frame of mind ever would have thought that about Sloane. I don't think she did think that Sloane would go along with it. So why did she do it? Because brainwashed by racks see this is why i'm just like i need to know more about adaya right there's so many things i know <laughs> that i need to know and i'm like um. <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. know and clearly you know obviously there's a romantic component to the relationship which you but like Ugh, yeah it's ugh. chris by the way um sloan describes her as a girl and so i'm assuming that Adaya's is in her 20s I am also assuming that because Sloane is in her late 40s, early 50s at this point, And, like, yeah, she but... continues, like, she continually is like, you could have been my daughter in her head. Yeah, I know. But, like, originally you had been kind of like, I, I, I didn't think a day was that young. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, you had said that. Oh, okay. Sure did. Well, shit. I'm wrong then. Ah, oh, the sweetest cool, words cool, cool. out of your mouth. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just... I, I, I really do want to know more about this, this tug of war in a day between Rex and Sloane because like, you know, if you're right and she had, and she expected Sloane to react this way and she was going to have to assassinate her then, but at the same time she respects the hell out of her. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just really want to know whether she almost seems Slo- sees Sloane as a mother figure, like, you know, complimentary to how Sloane sees her. 
I guess, because what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to, you know, adding on to the questions we want to know, I'd love to know what Adea's relationship was with her own mother. Mmm. Wow. Her mom's probably dead because it's Star Wars. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, you're right. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to touch on, I have a new flown at least for now, um, is where she's at at the end of the book. Because for the first time, like, obviously she's still powerful and a badass, um, but she's kind of the underdog now, which is a position we've never really seen her in before. You know, we've seen her be less powerful in her younger years. And obviously she was, you know, she kind of had to, I don't know, work her way out of, um being exiled essentially to the outer rim but we don't see that ever so this is the first time we're really seeing her um a little bit on her heels which is really interesting yeah definitely and i think one thing that we're gonna see a lot of in empire's end that we haven't so far is her dealing with that because like even though she's kind of the one who's you know very open-eyed about the empire's status at this point she doesn't want to change their tactics and that's part of why she hates Rax so much is she doesn't she believes the empire should be forceful and should be that hammer and it's impossible to be that hammer when you are losing mm-hmm. like it's just not possible mm-hmm. and so like in this book you and in the first aftermath book you do get a certain amount of contradiction inherent between her goal her view of what the empire should be and their current situation yeah. And obviously the Empire turns into the First Order, which very much becomes, you know, kind of the creeping knife through the ribs style situation. And again, we don't know exactly what her role in it was closer to Force Awakens, but like it's, you get a lot more about her thinking and how it evolves and how she envisions the Empire's survival. Yeah, and I don't think that it's that she doesn't think the Empire needs to change. I think she knows the Empire needs to change. But I think it's just like this difference in philosophy about like what it should change into or where it is going to eventually end up or where it should eventually end up. Yeah, absolutely. Also, can I say there's probably like nothing more dangerous than crossing race loan. So Rex is going to super die. At least I hope so. Like she's gonna, she's gonna wreck him. <laughs> like, I'm... like she's out now for his. Like she was like, we're going to Jakku, motherfuckers. Uh, yup. I was just like, okay. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that it's nowhere. It is. It is fair to say that she is uh, on on the warpath, on her own personal warpath oh, right fuck now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready. Not super strong on that warpath right now, though. Uh, yeah, no, that the bit at the end, like, I think that's the first time I've ever seen Sloane be, like, show outward surprise or shock at anything. Yeah. Seeing those Star Destroyers pop up. I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. See, I thought she was going to Jakku because she knew he was going to come back to Jakku. So I was confused that she was surprised. <laughs> but it may, so. Yeah, there's a little bit of, since we knew they were going to Jakku, like, and we know that Jakku is more important. It, like, is a little harder as the reader to remember that, like, Jakku's fucking nowhere. Jakku's Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Jet- no, yeah. Jakku's worse than Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty much nowhere. Yep. 
Also, poor, uh, poor Corwin. The bartender. Oh. He was the one from the, uh, from the interlude at the end of Aftermath 1. I don't remember this at all. Oh, no. Oh, he, like, had just come to Jakku and had the picture of this family that he carried with him because his family had all died during the war. That's right. And he's like, well, at least the war will never come to Jakku. Uh. It's called Star Wars, guys. Chuck! Are you serious, Chuck? Of course he's serious. Chuck is always serious. That's a lie. Chuck is never serious. Chuck is never serious, but he does. Chuck is only serious about heirloom apples. Oh my god. Anyway, this is- That was a reference to Chuck Wendig on Twitter. He's a great follow. Accurate. He is a great follow. (laughs) He legitimately loves fucking- heirloom apples he loves his heirloom apples you know how people like will just like taste like you know they just like love like tasting different kinds of beer or whiskey or like he just loves heirloom apples just like i wish i loved anything as much as chuck wendig loves heirloom apples i know it's great wait a minute that and his sandwich why don't you love me oh boy (laughs) now i'm sad oh boy this got awkward yeah sorry (laughs) um but yeah, so it's interesting to see Sloane in this position because right now, like, she is in no way prepared to go after him, even though that's what she wants to do. Because, like, I think in her head she was going to, like, find out some dirt on him and then figure out what his weakness was. And this was going to be kind of a long game. And now she's like, oh, here's the fleet. It's right here. Yeah, like, obviously she went to Jakku to, like, try to figure out more shit about him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great, Robert. Uh, speaking of things that aren't great, this is more of a sidebar than anything, but guys, biochips are bad for you. Just so bad. They're so bad for you, and we've seen them now several times in Star Wars, and I don't like them. <laughs> like, at the point where, you know, the Clones had them, the Wookiees had them, now these, all these, these uh, unwitting assassins had them, like, can we, like... You know, make a metal detector except for extra squishy brain bits. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And it's it's interesting because this is the first view that we get in the canon about kind of these unorthodox experiments that the Empire was doing. And that's like kind of a long, I don't know a ton about it, but there's like a long history and legends of the empire and all the shit they did with cloning and like almost like they're nazis yeah and like so this is very in tune with legends and in tune with the concept of palpatine you know like kind of pulling all the strings and experimenting a little bit over here and a little bit over here and like it's it's interesting to see kind of these non-military aspects of things they were doing because like again like our view of the empire based on movies is very one-dimensional obviously but like you know we see all the the tendrils of their evil. Absolutely. Keeks, I, I really want you to talk about the, uh, the the note you wrote on the outline under this topic. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I, I wrote, I'm personally offended by Palpy's commitment to brain chips. Because like we said in the beginning, I do think it was like a pet thing of Palpatine's to, to plant that in Rax's mind as a thing that is possible. <laughs> so, fuck. Fuck is right. Yeah, I mean, thinking about him, it, and how his whole thing is he loves to manipulate people. It makes sense that he would love literal brain chip, like literal mind control and manipulation. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. Oh my god. Like he might as well have he like he may as well have had a chip in Anakin's brain. Mm-hmm. For 
everything that he got out of him. Fuck yeah. Creepy. Cool. (laughs) Really uh, keeping it light here on the book quarters pod. Yep. This is not a light ending to the book. Second half of this book goes sharp left turn into dark. Like, it's basically as soon as we get to Kashyyyk. Yeah. This this gets real dark. Yeah. Um, Cool. Yep. So, keeping on the darkness, one part of this, and I know we're going to talk next episode kind of about reading series and reading trilogies and how this felt as, like, a second book of a trilogy, but I want to talk about, like, what changed in this book because like in aftermath we have we have character development right like we have Sinjir going from you know loner you know drunkard to part of a team we have nora finding you know kind of herself and her you know uh, lear- starting to learn how to be a mother again you have jas working as part of a team and here you don't get a lot of change in this book like you start to you see what people want to do but then at the end it all goes to shit and they all revert back to what they were mm-hmm like, you have Sinjir, obviously, I think is the most uh, stark one, I think. Because <laughs> you have, and it's it's a little less heartbreaking now because we know that they end up together, but... I know, but the angst on I the know. way there but is you have, going to kill me. Right? Like, so much you angst. have him oh being like, I, know. I want to change. I want to be a better person and trying to, you know, be with Condor and trying to have actual friends and then uh, the Shrangilla the attack happens, and he is like, it's so weird having friends. You made my friends sad, and that makes me angry. And he just slips I'm gonna kill you. right back <laughs> into old Singer. I kind of love that part a lot, though. I do. <laughs> I was surprised too. he didn't torture him. Me too, actually. Like, that guy didn't kind of didn't suffer enough. For, okay, here's, here's, here's my Singer coming out. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway. But like, and he, and yeah, he, that, guy, that fucking blonde guy is, was really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Blonde people, man. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Space chess. <laughs> On Twitter. <laughs> He's not naturally blonde. She's going to slap me when she hears this. <laughs> anyway. I mean, they have so little representation in the galaxy and you know, it's just all negative oh my here. God. And, uh. and every time we mention it, we're bullying them. Yep. Um, <laughs> but no, so like Sinjir obviously is like. He is very much back where he started, where he, like, no longer feels capable of turning over that new leaf. And we have Jas, who is still, you know, goes from liking working as a team a little bit to, you know, then wanting to, feeling comfortable going off on her own. And now still feeling adrift again after Chandrilla. Like, the rug has been ripped out from under her again. And Nora and Tamin, obviously are still in the place where they are dealing with family drama and don't know how to handle it because mm-hmm. Tamin was so mad at Nora for the whole Brenton thing before we knew that Brenton was like literally being controlled and Nora was just continuing to reel from these feelings of I don't know how to keep my family together and now of course Tamin continued to be 16 mm-hmm. Tamin very much continued to be 16 and now we know that it wasn't Nora's fault and they're in this place where like they're just they're still broken and so like i feel like one of the themes of this book is growth is hard and like we saw that obviously on the galactic level but like on the personal level there's not a lot of growth in this book right i mean and isn't that just so human to just it's always change is always harder than you know falling back on what you know 
Yeah. Definitely. And, like, I think a lot of the people on the team thought that they were hopefully changing for the better by doing these things that they were doing that were supposed to be good. And then, like, they all look in the mirror at the end of the book and they're like, fuck, we're the same. (laughs) Yeah. Right, absolutely. I think... You know, if we're talking about the question of what changed in this book, I think what changes that is that they at least know that, you know, Norris Corellis knows they can trust each other. And even though Temin was mad at his mom, you know, when he finds out that there's something fishy going on with the Liberation Day festivities, she's the first person he thinks of going to. And when she says that she wants to go out and finally bring in Sloan at, at the very end. Um, you know, he's with her 100%. And he, Temin in the first book never would have done either of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, you know, it's obviously it was easier for him to be mad at his mom than to acknowledge, like, greater things that were going on around him. But um, there's still, there's still a lot of trust built up there um, that wasn't present before. And that's kind of true of, the relationships between any of Nora's crew members. Yeah, it's true. Like, like they've established that they want to change. They want to be better, but like, they're still not sure how to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to talk about is Temin. And, you know, obviously we all kind of hate Temin. Like, I we, don't hate Temin. Really... Me and Keeks kind of hate Temin. Oh my God. I hate him. Um, because he's, and it's not his fault. He's just 16 and has experienced a lot of trauma. Um, he's 16, a little shit, little shithead. It's yeah, fine. he is. Um, but it's interesting because you absolutely see the seeds of Poe in here and you, you know, knowing what we know that they become really good friends and, you know, are both part of, part of Black Squadron together. Like you see how Poe got to be how he is and how that kind of started in Temin because Temin, you know, grew up on his own and hated following orders. And Poe, we don't know as much about his family life. We know his mother died early. We don't know as much about his father. Because there are no alive moms in Star Wars. Exactly. But we know that he hates following orders, obviously. And they both have this rebellious streak. Like, obviously we see in Last Jedi, Poe doesn't really like listening to people nope and like which is why i put Temin would also super have gotten shot by leia yeah absolutely stupid hell yes absolutely Temin has <laughs> at this stage of his life no sense of the difference between heroes and leaders like very much like poe didn't mm-hmm. and you know poe is in that stage where you know the bravest and most daring are leaders and he is you know, obviously a very gifted pilot. Well, allegedly, will become a very gifted pilot. Apparently he sucks at piloting an X-Wing in simulators. He's distracted. <laughs> he is distracted. <laughs> but um, but he needs to mature. Like, you see this youthful, uh, you know, I, re- again, this I said rebelliousness before, but like, you see that the tools are there, but he has not put it together yet. Mm-hmm. And totally. this leads to something that, Kate, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, and just this passage from mentor to student and, like, where Temin and Poe fit in this line. Mm. Wait, I wanted to talk about this? You and I mentioned it off pod. I don't remember this. 
Okay, I'll talk we're about talking it. talking off pod. I'll talk. <laughs> we were talking off pod. Oh my god. I'll talk about it, but this was all Kate. Like, I remember this. obviously, so we have Poe as. <laughs> was in, I drunk? <laughs> maybe. Uh, in in Last Jedi, we have Poe as one of the leaders of the resistance or of the new rebellion, and it's just great because you can trace that line all the way back, and you can trace. Poe back to lessons that he learned from Temin as his mentor and friend. And you can trace Temin back through Wedge, who was his mentor and friend. And you can trace Wedge back through Hera, who was his more mentor and friend. Ah, uh, yes. And it's just, you know, you see this passing of the torch and how these different generations interact and mesh with each other and the lessons that are being passed down. And so, like, that's why it's just so interesting to me to see you know, Temin's growth and Temin's flaws and how maybe they got accentuated in Poe and, but Mm. also his talents and how they got accentuated in Poe and things like that. Yep. Hera, on the other hand, flawless. It's like, it's like really bad telephone. Like, Hera was perfect (laughs) and everybody, and all these boys fucked it up. (laughs) Yep. So true. Where's the lie though? (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Um, this was mostly your point as well, honestly. Yeah, I can lead us in. Comparing, comparing Leia and Anakin again, because, oh my God, is she not his daughter? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like this book is just a case study in, and I really like Chuck Wendig's Leia. Um, we're going to talk next episode about some aspects of the writing that I, that we did or did not like. Um, I thought his Leia was dead on and it was very, it was very Hoth Leia, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's. It's important to remember, we're only a year removed from Hoth, essentially. Maybe a little bit more. That's crazy. we're less than two years removed from Hoth. Yeah, I would say like a year and a half, definitely. Um, and it's very, you know, want leader, wanting to be this leader and, you know, capably being this leader. But you see this impulsiveness that, you know, we don't get in General Leia later. You know, we see the rash decisions of stealing the Millennium Falcon and, you know, like basically forcing Phantom Squadron and Home One to come to her aid because she's like, well, I'm doing this. If you don't want me to die, better catch up. Anakin never did that during Clone Wars. I know. like, (laughs) Nope, never. Yeah. Like you see this, I'm going to do what I need to do and people are going to follow me because I'm going to like tie their hands and like I'm going to make this decision for all of us. And like this ideological rigidity that you know and that's part of her conflict with mon mothma is that mon mothma is very much about the political calculations and less ideological and just wanting to end the war and leia is leia leia just says fuck that like she's not about that and so like you have this quick to anger feeling about her too and she sees things that are happening and she doesn't think that they're fair. And that innate sense of unfairness is very similar to, you know, Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin during the Clone Wars. It's like, it's like when Gryffindors go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Except Leia's not a Gryffindor, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, it's just like, you know, we've had this conversation before during Bloodline and I feel like we did at some other point, but about how Leia is very much Anakin's daughter and how Leia 
very easily could have gone to the dark side. And we see everything that led Anakin to the dark side on display here with Leia. We don't really know a lot about, obviously, her life between, you know, I guess, like, where she's at in Last Shot, where she's, you know, a young mother raising a kid, um, and where she is during Bloodline. But, you know, there's a lot of this that really softens in her as she gets older, it seems like. You know, she... I don't know if um, it's her life experiences or if maybe she just has more tools for, um, you know, channeling this passion. But it's just so interesting how it never really, it never, you know, goes so far as it does with Anakin that it just goes wrong. Um, I don't know how much we're going to see her kind of trying to, like, temper anything in herself that might lead to the dark side in Empire's End. But Boy, do I want to read Leia Princess of Alderaan. Oh boy. <laughs> because be, because I absolutely agree with you and I would argue that the difference between Leia and Anakin is Bale. And Brea. Ooh. And You mean parents? Yes. <laughs> you mean, Amazingly, huh. parents are important in Star Wars. Parents uh, parents and or parent figures who don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, like Anakin never had that positive view or that positive role model and no, Leia he had Yoda had... telling him to take his feelings and chuck them out the window. Yep. And <laughs> Leia had Brea and Bale and learned the compassion that Anakin never did. And I think it's fair oh, to say that Anakin, or that, excuse me, that Leia could have gotten that from Padme as well. But like, we've talked before about how Luke is Padme's son and Anakin is, or and Leia is Anakin's daughter. And I think in terms of kind of their innate characteristics, that's absolutely true. And then each, you know, arguably learns the other a little bit mm-hmm. over the course of their childhood in their lives Mm -hmm. definitely totally i I thought the other so we get just we don't get a ton of leia in the force in this book but we get some i would say we actually kind of get more than we've gotten other places yeah but yeah um, totally i thought her kind of relationship with the force um just like echoed a lot of and sometimes anakin's um in being in his own head about it especially in the clone wars mm-hmm. like when she's like luke would be so happy right now that i'm reaching out to the force i know like, oh my god it's such a, an anakin thing to say <laughs> he'd be like obi-wan's gonna be so happy i'm doing what i'm fucking supposed to be doing even though i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah no absolutely that's I so think, true i think there's I, I super think there's a larger conversation to be had with about leia and the force and i don't know that we have enough information to have it yet but like looking at how she responded to Tylin in bloodline when he was like why didn't you become a jedi and she like we know that the force like the force just doesn't fully click with her like she has how she grows up and the powers that she is you know in control of and her own personal personality and instincts and things like that but the force is kind of just feels foreign to her and she never gets into it for the sake of getting into it. And I think that that, you know, you look at something like the bridge scene in The Last Jedi, and you kind of see that culmination of, you know, that being the moment where the Force fully awakens in her. Because eh, the Force awakens. <laughs> because, because it's yeah. not conscious. Uh, and I think her conscious mind is just at odds with the Force in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think 
what it is with her, she's, I think she gets pretty stuck on what she tells Luke on Endor. You know, this is, this is a power that you have. It's not really mine. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I think that self-doubt is absolutely a thing mm-hmm. for, for her powers of the force. Yeah. And also she learned to get by without it. What does she need it for? Yeah. And also like, I don't know, her usage of it is far more instinctual than it is um, you know, something that she calls upon. And, you know, part of it is because she doesn't want to actively use it. But it's, I don't know, that seems to be more natural for her to be like, oh, I sense things, as opposed to just being like, I'm going to use the Force. Yeah. Let's use the Force! <laughs> yeah. That's not how the Force works. Oh my god. Yeah. And again, that sense of instinct and her reliance on instinct is a fine line. Mm-hmm. Like, when you look at her in the context of being Anakin's daughter, like, yeah, there is a very, and you know, we'll never, well, yeah, you never know. Maybe we will get an alternate universe, world between worlds timeline in canon. Oh my God, shut up. But like, Dark Leia would be fascinating because she is Anakin's daughter. I mean, we can, we can always do a bonus on that. Yeah, that'd be a great bonus. I'm sure this fanfic exists. Oh, I'm sure. God, I'm oh, yeah. sure somebody has written a hundred thousand word dark leia fanfic <laughs> oh yeah there's probably like 10 of those yeah. i just have which is great which know. is awesome i'm not denigrating no, it. No, no, no no absolutely but like i mean this is i mean it, it, i mean what we're really saying is that it's such a fascinating question that like you really do need ten thousand words to fucking explore it yeah yes <laughs> lots of plot uh, yet another plot heavy episode for the book wars pod yeah this is a plot heavy book well the first half is not, and the second half is. Mm-hmm. It's very plot heavy. You know, it's just much more than the first aftermath book. I would agree with that. And Empire's Empire's End is fairly plot heavy too, but it's like a much narrower time period. It's interesting. I, I right. Empire's End is my favorite of the trilogy, so it'll be interesting to talk about it. Okay, I'm I'm cool. I'm excited. Now we only have to wait like three months because yeah, I think we're reading it early next year. Yeah, yeah, but by that time, Danny will have, like, burned himself up into a crisp. I know. Sorry, Danny. (laughs) At Danny Pearl on Twitter. (laughs) Sorry, bro. (laughs) Um, Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of the Book Wars Pod, uh, where we finished up Aftermath, Life, Death by Chuck Wendig. Next episode, we're just going to be doing our wrap-up, talking through some social media questions and some final thoughts on the book. And in the meantime, uh, you can get ahead on our next book, which is going to be Canto Bite, uh, which is a... Uh, book collection of four novellas by oh god I can do this um, Saladin Ahmed Mira Grant Ray Carson Ray, it is Ray Carson I couldn't remember if it was Ray Carson and John Jackson Miller mm-hmm. um, uh, about kind of what happens on Canto Bite uh, which obviously is the casino world that we know from The Last Jedi uh, so we're going to be reading that next uh, so now you have time to get it from your local independent bookstore get it from your local library uh all those great sources in the meantime hit us up on twitter facebook instagram and tumblr at bookwarspod bookwarspod at gmail.com if you want to email us and rate review and subscribe to us and the tashi station radio mega feed uh for your opportunity if you review us to win awesome free shit including uh soon a giveaway of a paperback edition of uh, thrawn by timothy zahn uh, and also, uh, if you have the means and are so inclined, donate to us on 
uh, the Tashi Station Radio Patreon, as well as coffee.com slash bookwarspod. That's ko-fi.com slash bookwarspod. It really helps us cover our hosting and production costs. It helps us put together a fund to, uh, you know, hopefully produce some Book Wars Pod swag for Star Wars Celebration Chicago next April. And anytime you give us coffee, I will post a picture of Hamlet on the Instagram. So it's really in your best interest. He's real cute. He just got a clean bill of health from the vet yesterday. He's a good boy. He's so cute. <laughs> our theme song is Whiz Bang by Poddington Bear. Our logo and artwork are by Joe Butera Design. Thank you as always for listening to the Book Wars Pod. For Kate and Kristen, I'm Chris, and we will talk to you next week. Quietest little air horns. Aww. Yay, tensile strength. All right.